Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, I have some uh, some news this morning to lead off this particular hour that is going to be um, one of those pray the news headlines here. Um, so there is a ministry that has been operating in Afghanistan for a number of years. It used to be called I Am Afghanistan, um, and they changed, and it was International Afghan Mission, um, I Am for short, Um And um, it's now called International Assistance Mission. It is based in France. Um, And over the last couple of weeks, their their headquarters, uh, which is some 400 miles outside of Kabul in a town called Ghor, G-H-O-R, their headquarters was raided. And during the first raid, um, three individuals were um, taken hostage by the Taliban. One of those individuals was an American, is an American. Ten days later, the Taliban um, returned and raided the offices again and um, took 15 additional members of the IM team hostage. And so there are now 18 individuals um, who have been serving the people of Afghanistan, they've been doing so in the name of Jesus, and that is the problem. So the Taliban uh, has accused them of, quote, propagating and promoting Christianity, um, and they are currently being um, held in a, you know, un- unknown location. So, um, oh, it's not a French, not not French, Swiss. I'm sorry, I think I said France. It's It's actually... Swedish. It's a Swiss organization. Um, so uh, I am is the short form name. International Assistance Mission is the longer name. It is uh, formerly the International Afghan Mission. For those of you that have maybe been around a while and, um, and aware of this particular uh, very, very vibrant ministry, it's the longest serving ministry in this particular region of the world. Um, been faithfully serving in the name of Christ for a very long, long time. So there are now 18 hostages, uh, Christian brothers and sisters um, being held by the Taliban, um, and obviously not a region of the world where the United States of America uh, has operations any longer. So I just want to lift that up. I want to lift it up as a prayer concern. I want you to target your prayers in this direction today. We want to ask for God's mercy and his grace. We want to ask for um, a resolution that is that is positive um, and supportive of life. I want to pray for the people of Afghanistan with whom um, this ministry was serving because this will likely bring an end to this particular ministry in this place as well. And 
the loss of one more ministry in Afghanistan is not what the people of Afghanistan need. And so the Taliban continues to um, tighten its grip on life and liberty uh, in Afghanistan. And so let us raise our prayers this day. Holy God, we come before you. You have the whole world in your hands. We don't pretend to understand all that's going on, but we do recognize um, that you are sovereign and that you work in the midst of things that we don't understand. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. But Father, we want to bring before you our prayers filled with concern for these 18 individuals and those who took them hostage. We recognize, Father, that you work in mysterious ways, so maybe it is by the taking of these individuals that Christ will be proclaimed to these members of the Taliban, who are right now hostage takers, but maybe maybe this is your way in um, to, their, uh, to their hearts and to their life. We don't pretend to know, Father, um, but we know you, and you are good. And so we come before you and we ask for your mercy and your grace in this particular circumstance for these particular brothers and sisters in Christ on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Elizabeth Newman's going to join us next. She is a security analyst. Um, she works with the Moonshot Group. We're going to actually spend some time talking about disasters, um, those that are natural, those that are man-made. Um, obviously, our hearts and minds continue to be focused on the the horrible unfolding um, uh, what is left behind in the wake of floods um, in in the North African country of Libya. We're also continuing to pray for the people of Morocco and the people of Maui, on and on and on. So we're going to talk about natural disaster, and we're going to talk about um, God in the midst of all of it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's all kinds of testimonies um, of Christian witness coming out of uh, the wake of disaster, both in Morocco and in um, and in Libya and in other places. And so we want to continue to pray for God to use the circumstances that people are in to bring himself glory and to bring others to Christ. Elizabeth Newman is joining us today. She is a security analyst. Um, she has thought a lot about um, what is going on in the world. Um, and we thought it would be good to talk with her about this intersection of faith and um, and disaster, natural and otherwise. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Carmen. Yeah. Um, I know that in our in our back and forth, you're like, I hope it's not repetitive to till the soil again. No, no, it's not. Um, we we need these conversations. We need uh, reminders and and the opportunity to dig deeper and talk more more broadly um, about what God is doing when there are natural disasters. So where do you want to, where do you want to begin to till the soil of this conversation? I, I think it might help to just kind of recap because our minds so quickly forget how, how many of these we have had. Um, just in this year, we had that devastating earthquake in Turkey um, that was, uh, you know, death toll in the mm. tens of thousands um, and then just in the last month, we had those horrific fires in Maui. We had a earthquake earthquake in Morocco, which was like top of the news until we had the flood, the dams break in Libya. And and there is there is a convulsing. Uh, uh, the, these disasters seem to be more frequent. I I don't know 
if that's just because we're global now and we can see it in a way that our ancestors um, 100 years ago wouldn't have gotten word about such devastating things for years, right? Like it would have Mm. now can instantly communicate and send pictures and see how devastating they are. So there is like a human toll that we um, have in, in being exposed to all of this, um, instantly. And, um, and it's hard to figure out like how to, how to, what, what are we as believers supposed to do with that? Um, but then there's also, I think something that as 21st century humans, um, we really struggle with is we seem to forget that we're human. We seem to think that by now we should have figured out how to stop hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, wildfires, that that we should be powerful enough to be able to mitigate such things. And and I will I'm coming from a field where we spend billions of dollars trying to mitigate, um, trying to save life. Uh, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's not a worthwhile investment, but it it can lead one to the false conclusion that we can control it. And, and while um, there are certainly many blessings in advanced technology and being able to um, prepare and try to prevent certain uh, consequences of disasters and being able to respond quickly, like the bottom line is we're still human, <laughs> we're still frail. Um, and mother nature, if you will, is so much bigger than us um, and God even bigger than that, right? So there's just this, um, it's like 21st century humans have, have forgotten that we, we are small and, and you see that play out after a disaster. You see, um, rightly people after a disaster who have gone like the the actual victims of a disaster, you know, it's, it's a horrific experience. And one of the stages of grief is anger. Um, and you often see that anger come out against, uh, public officials for not doing enough. And the reality is that most public officials can't do enough because they are limited too, and their resources are limited and they can't move as fast as anybody would like. Um, but you often see in these very large disasters, uh, I think Puerto Rico, um, the first time that uh, FEMA, the United States Emergency Management Capability had to really deploy at full scale to an island. We had never done that before. And it was slow and it was unwieldy and it was not acceptable that parts of the island didn't get electricity for, you know, I think it was 10 months. And we we think like there's it's at the time, I think it was 2018. We should we should not be in a place where you can't get electricity to people. It shouldn't take 10 months, Um, but it does because. It is these things that we are used to that it it took a lot of time for them to build. And when they get destroyed, it takes a lot of time to build them back. Um, But we're such a uh, they're so in our the background of our life. We don't think about them until they're gone. And um, and we just we seem to to really struggle with um, this idea that so much of, of what we rely upon and what, what we're used to as the normal part of our life, it really could go away in an instant in one of these disasters. Um, and then what then, then, and I don't, I don't mean in a, like, you know, how are we going to survive kind of thing? I just, 
I, I do mean more in it. What's our mindset if if we end up facing such a disaster? Is it to blame? Is it to just be angry? Or is it to also recognize with humility, like this is what uh, for millennia humans have had to deal with. Um, and it's just in recent years that we have achieved a state where uh, we're not always uh, dependent upon the weather or we're not um, just trying to survive. Um, so I, I think uh, it, there's maybe some opportunities for, for believers in particular to um, take that big picture of, you know, what is God doing in the world and what is he reminding us of? And for me, it's like, it, it is an aspect of uh, being humbled as human beings. We don't, we don't, we're not God. We can't control this. Um, that that's, that's usually when I see these devastating pictures of 20, potentially 20,000 people um, that have been lost in Libya. Um, it, it's just unfathomable. And part of grief is recognizing our humanity and the fallen world that we're in and that we're limited. We can't, we can't fix it all. It's hard for us to imagine um, 20,000 people killed in a flood today. Um, just imagine a flood that was global that only seven people survived. We're going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman. We're going to seek to bring a biblical perspective to bear on what is happening um, in terms of what certainly uh, seem to be more more frequent and um, and stronger or more devastating natural disasters of all kinds around the world. Um, do humans contribute? I mean, yeah, my short answer is yes. All creation groans with eager longing for our redemption. The flood itself was a consequence of human sin and certainly the worst natural disaster ever on record. We're going to continue talking about this next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. Um, She works with the Moonshot Group. We're talking about natural disasters, um, the frequency that we are observing today, um, and just how devastating recent natural disasters have been, not only here in the United States, but around the world. I think I would just remind us that there are lots of natural disasters in the Bible. Certainly the flood in Genesis, you could read chapters 6 through 9. But the 10 plagues um, certainly could be described as natural disasters if you didn't understand their supernatural origin and purpose. That would be Exodus chapter 7 to 10. There are a number of droughts that lead to famine um, throughout the Old Testament, pestilence, locusts, um, additional floods, and the forecast of 
Um, you know, you're going to hear, Jesus says in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, you know, you're going to hear about, um, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and um, and all kinds of other natural disasters. And and he says of those, you know, those are just the birth pangs. Um, so there's, um, there's something going on. God is uh, involved in some way. Um, so, Elizabeth, uh, when you think about the involvement of God, it's not as if we want to point a finger and say all of this is God's fault. We do bear some responsibility um, for where we live. I mean, you know, if you're going to live right up, snuggled up next to the edge of the ocean and you're going to live on what absolutely is uh, a river delta that was produced at some point in time because there was a flood that brought, uh, you know, brought earth to the place where you now live. Like, I, I just think that there are some things that I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. You live that that close to the edge of it. Maybe just knowing what we know about plate tectonics, we shouldn't be surprised that the things shift from time to time. I mean, if California falls into the sea, it's going to be terrible, but no one's going to be surprised because we know the San Andreas Fault is there. It's true. It, it, and, and we humans um, always think like, well, it won't happen to me, right? Like it, it'll maybe maybe in the future, but not to me. And, and we make these calculated decisions, um, but not necessarily based on facts or statistics. It's just a, 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 an emotional um, uh, sense of like, oh, it can never happen to me. Um, and, and I do think that's what makes the, the current um, increase in, in natural disasters challenging because even um, places that were not prone to certain things, just like to hurricanes or wildfires, um, increasingly up the East Coast, uh, the estimates that people, there are, by the way, there are people that do the statistics. They're usually insurance companies or um, uh, FEMA does a lot of estimates um, around the likelihood of certain types of disasters um, to, to do resource planning, right? So there, there are people that do study this and, and have been kind of sounding the alarm that um, it used to be a, a certain section of the country that would deal with hurricanes. And now that is increasingly moving up north. We even saw a hurricane hit Southern California this year, which is just um, kind of mind boggling because that has never happened before. And, and they, when they, that part of the country gets a, just a lot of rain, um, it can have some pretty devastating consequences because a good swath of um, that area is desert. So uh, changing dynamics, even if it's not a, uh, the most devastating um, of whatever the disaster is. It might doesn't have to be the most devastating hurricane. You put a hurricane in a place that's not used to getting it, um, you're going to have devastating consequences. Um, and, and likewise, uh, wildfires, we, we're seeing more uh, drought more frequently in various parts of the country, and we're seeing wildfires in places where they're not normally occurring. So there's an aspect of what we're dealing with that is we – we need to adapt, but it's happened. The change has happened so quickly that we don't quite yet know how to adapt. Um, but then there's also Carmen. The other side of the story is, at, is and I, I will limit it to the United States because um, uh, other parts of the world that are still developing um, deal with corruption pretty prolifically. Like, and and that's like part of why they're still developing. Um, but even in the United States. We have seen examples of 
disasters be magnified because officials who were responsible for key infrastructure did not do their job correctly. Um, it was either because they were taking money and, and pushing it towards other things and not uh, towards investing in the infrastructure or because they they just were incompetent and they didn't know how to do their jobs. And I, and I think that's one of the interesting things about um, the challenging space that we're in. We, we need uh, people in government, people that serve on these um, oversight boards for electrical companies, for dams. We need them to be competent and we need them to be of integrity because if they fail, it has catastrophic um, impact on their communities. I, I think of Hurricane Katrina and the, the levees that broke there. Um, there is uh, there, It was found that the, the boards that oversaw those levees were siphoning money off and not um, re, re, uh, reinforcing the levees. And the levees probably wouldn't have broke if the money that they had been given had gone towards reinforcing the levees. Um, in California, we had fires that um, were pretty devastating. It's like one of the worst wildfires we've had in a long time until we get to Maui. And it was found because of power lines that were not properly maintained. Um, so some of these quote unquote natural disasters are actually the products of human beings corrupt or incompetent, not doing their jobs. And um, it because we're more connected, because we're larger societies, um, their failure can result in widespread death. Um, and and how do we as Americans like how do we address that? Well, we have to hold our officials accountable. It means in some ways who you vote for in your local election is way more important than who you vote for president because that local official, whether it's a, a mayor or a county executive, they're the ones that are overseeing or directing uh, the the local infrastructure um, also at a state level. But your local and state officials, that's where we really need to be paying attention because if they don't do their jobs right, then a failed infrastructure ends up impacting your family quite literally. Uh, and I, th I think we've lost that aspect of, of our governing system. And we like to just, you know, cast blame. We just, to, yeah, we like to focus on the, on the federal, what's happening at the national level. Yeah. But you're exactly yeah. right. What's happening on the local level is absolutely critical. Um, Elizabeth, we got to leave it right there. As always, thank you so much for helping us consider and reflect and pay attention um, at the intersection of what's happening in the world and our own life of faith. We genuinely appreciate it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We got to take a moment for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. All right, here's a little unusual request <clears throat> or a suggestion. It's probably a suggestion. Um, like, stand naked in front of the mirror. And tell yourself the truth, which is that you are beautiful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are um, a creation of God designed by him. Um, and you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's do that for the next uh, 30 or 40 seconds <clears throat> and then talk about it in just a moment. Beauty and soul deep beauty fighting for our true worth in a world demanding flawlessness. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
authentic beauty, true beauty, finding beauty in our broken world. These are some of the themes that Melissa Johnson unpacks regularly in her Impossible Beauty podcast. I want to direct you to that site, impossible-beauty.com. Melissa is joining us today with her new book, Soul Deep Beauty, uh, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawlessness. Melissa, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. So good to be here. So I really wanted to like ask the question um, uh, of everybody, each person listening right now, like, do you know that you're beautiful? Do you, mm-hmm. do you recognize that about yourself? And if you even hesitate for a moment um, and, and say the answer is no, then we want you to have a copy of this book. It's just that simple. Um, we want uh, you to be thinking and feeling correctly about beauty its its source and um, and the way that it's lived out in our lives. So we actually are giving away several copies of Melissa's book today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Melissa, let's just start with a definition of beauty. Yes. So the way that I have learned to define beauty is the life of God at work in us and among us. And so I I had to redefine beauty um, on my own journey because I realized that the way that our culture is defining beauty is actually, I I believe, entirely false because it actually brings about disintegration and shame and insecurity. And I realized that the fruits of that kind of beauty are actually not beautiful at all. Those are good. Those those are really good words. Um, Disintegration, disconnection. Um, there's a false narrative about beauty in the culture today. So why don't you tell us the false narrative and then tell us um, the biblical narrative. What What is the beauty narrative from the Bible? So maybe do both of those. Yeah, yeah. So our society tells us that in order to be beautiful, you have to fit into a certain box. And usually that box has to do with um, a certain like hierarchy of body type. So usually thin and fit. Uh, and also with the rise of social media and, um, you know, things like filters, we have essentially this idea of what Jean Kilborn calls absolute flawlessness. And so if we look in the mirror and we see that we have like, you know, pores, uh, we tend to think that we are flawed and we are not beautiful. And so what I have seen is that that kind of beauty is actually entirely short-sighted. It is not um, helpful and it does not lead to anything um, that brings about life. Uh, And so the biblical definition, I would say, as like I said, it is the life of God at work in us and among us. And, you know, there was this theologian named Baxter Kruger who got me onto this idea. And what he talks about is this idea of the dance. And essentially, he talks about how there is this dance being played out all around us all the time, like this eternal love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there is this dynamic dance of love um, being played out in the world around us. So, you know, with with children laughing or in the love between uh, a mother and her child. And I, I would even say in the way that nature, how God has created nature to actually bring about um, peace and calm in our bodies. And so I I believe that that is the biblical definition of, of beauty because it actually brings us closer to this shalom vision that um, was that began in the garden. And I do believe that God is working to reestablish um, through the life of Jesus and having us become 
um, reconciled and um, deeply connected to God, ourselves, and others. And I do think that that true definition of beauty that I talked about is actually what brings us that kind of connection. Think for a moment about beauty as the life of God at work in you and among us. Just think about that for just a moment. How does that change the way you think about yourself and those wrinkles or pores or um, other things that you have come to think of as flaws in, in, a, in a narrative that in our culture demands flawlessness? What if beauty is the life of God at work in you and among us? How does that change your perspective on yourself um, your body, those things that um, that you think need to be changed. Soul deep beauty, fighting for our true worth in a world demanding flawlessness. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, talk about the role of shame. What What is body shame? And maybe what do I say to somebody who is frustrated with God because of the shape or appearance of uh, of their skin. Yeah. So I what I really want people to see through this book is that we are actually uh advertisers and corporations are purposefully eliciting shame so that we buy products. And so I want to go ahead and quote Brené Brown and her definition of shame. So she says that shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, end quote. So what shame does, and when when advertisers and corporations are purposefully eliciting shame, they're going to the heart of what it means to be human. You know, I believe that our deepest desire as humans is to be known and loved deeply. And so shame says that, no, you are not worthy of those things. And so I believe that it is entirely um, just toxic and nefarious and wrong. And I, I do think it is an enemy uh, or a tool of the enemy that shame is used to um, to disconnect us from from ourselves and and even God. And so um, I, I really want us to see that that is actually a tool that I think, like I said, the enemy uses, but also advertisers in order to make us feel not enough so that we purchase products. And if we look at statistics around, you know, the diet industry and the beauty industry, um, this is working. We are spending billions of dollars every year on on beauty and um, diet related products, which I would say includes the wellness industry. Um, And then for someone who is experiencing some kind of shame or body shame, I think the first part is gaining that awareness that this is being done on purpose. And um, and with that, I, you know, I've learned that shame is embodied. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when you experience shame, you might maybe feel like a sinking pit in your stomach or um, maybe sweaty palms. You know, it's different for each one of us. And I think what I would invite that person to do is as much as shame is embodied, I believe grace and love are embodied. And so I would invite that person to envision the loving face of Jesus and the unconditional love in his eyes toward them and experience what does it feel like to embody, to feel that grace and love of God. And then from there, know that that is the truer reality. Um, And again, that is not based on, that is based on truth. That is based on eternality. And ultimately uh, at the end of the day, at the end of this age, that is the truth about you. And 
so I encourage us and I encourage that person to sit in the fullness of um, the reality of that kind of love and that truth about them. We're talking with Melissa Johnson. You can connect with her and resources related to the conversation we're having today at impossible-beauty.com, impossible-beauty.com. Her book, Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawlessness. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment, we'll talk about the um, the relationship between health and wellness and beauty, and um, and talk about some um, some ways in which you can actually not just fight this battle, but but engage very very positively in beautiful ways in um, acknowledging what beauty is and how God wants to extend it through you. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. In Chapter 12 of Recovery as Resistance, Melissa Johnson leads off with the words of Jesus recorded in John Chapter 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Melissa says, for some, the villain's scheme, uh, shrouded in the American idea of beauty, is a distraction from fullness of life. For others, it paves the way to their literal demise. In either case, it's a subtle and progressive undoing, a cunning ploy for the enemy of our souls to deplete and destroy us. Is the uh, American narrative of beauty destroying you, stealing you, robbing you of the beautiful life God intends to give. That is the conversation that we're having. Soul Deep Beauty is the book, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawlessness. Melissa Johnson is here. You can connect with her, her podcast and blog about the same subject, impossible-beauty.com. Melissa, talk with us a little bit about the relationship between health and wellness and beauty? Because I think there's like some confusion out there today um, in sort of the body positivity movement that actually is not about wellness. It's not about your body being its best for your positive functioning. It's about something else. And so I do think there's some confusion out there right now related to this. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for bringing this up. So, you you know, I think oftentimes we've kind of um, conflated these ideas of like the, these ideas of like the good life and beauty and health and wellness. And we kind of wrap it into a package because like I said, these uh, it's packaged well for different products with the, with the good and beautiful life looks like. Um, And so I think largely what is influencing this when it comes to, you know, body image and, and beauty I think is this idea of what's uh, deemed diet culture. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, quote Christy Harrison here. She's an author and um, of the book Anti-Diet. So this comes from that book. She says, diet culture is a system of beliefs that equates thinness, muscularity, and particular body shapes with health and moral virtue, promotes weight loss and body reshaping as a means of attaining higher status, demonizes certain foods and food groups while elevating others, and oppresses people who don't match its supposed picture of health. By and large, Western culture is diet culture. 
this way of thinking about food and bodies is so embedded in the fabric of our society in so many different forms that it can be hard to recognize. It masquerades as health, wellness, and fitness, end quote. So I think what diet culture does is it um, it gives us this idea that certain body types and shapes are are better, um, that it, they are more moral. Um, and then it oftentimes goes along with um, the kinds of foods that we eat. You know, we even have labels about like, oh, this this food is, quote, bad for me or or good, or I feel so guilty for eating this particular food. Um, and then, you know, then we take on that morality as, you know, myself as a person that I'm a bad person if I if I eat X, Y or Z. And I think what what this has done, what this has done is it actually um, depletes us of of life. Um, you know, I thought I was in my own journey. I thought I was doing it quote right by trying to eat, um, perfectly as if that were actually a, a real thing. You could do that. Um, because I thought I was pursuing health and wellness in my own life. Um, but I do think that just like there's a broken brand of beauty, I think this broken brand of wellness actually leads us astray. Um, and, and I think it is such the tactic of the enemy because I think what often, you know, I've seen with the enemy at work is there is like this slight tweak that leads us um, astray. And the further down that road we go, the further off course we get. And so I, I in my book, I talk about my own journey in eating disorder treatment as um, like the failed perfectionist club, the other men and women I was in the midst of, because we were really trying to do it right and follow this brand of health and wellness that the culture had given us. But as a result, it had totally deple been depleting us of life. And I think that that can be true of someone struggling with an eating disorder. But I think, you know, we see, we look at statistics where, you know, like um, one statistic says that 97% of women report having one I hate my body moment during the day. And so I think that this idea of um, certain bodies being better um, than others and certain shapes being better than others, um, usually accompanied by a certain, quote, health or wellness plan, I think that this can really lead us to a place that um, instead of leading us to, you know, wellness and well-being, it actually becomes uh, actually the opposite of that and brings us away from the fullness of life that God invites us into. Yeah, beauty is actually an attribute of God. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe more than an attribute. Uh, it's one of the three um absolutely persistent realities of who God is, goodness, beauty, and truth. And so when we when we think about what is beautiful, if the first thought is not God, um, then we probably have some sort of warped um, narrative at work. And sometimes that's really hard to uncover because it's, I mean, we've been, this is the culture we've been living in. It's not, it's not as if, um, we came to this from another culture, and wow, we can see it. No, no, this is this is where we've lived our whole lives, and so, um, actually stopping and looking at the story we've been told about beauty is really hard because it's a difficult task because you're asking us to look at something, um, that is is like part of the fabric of the culture. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think even, you know, before I had my own uh, journey with, with this eating disorder, I think previously I thought, oh, yeah, I know that these ideas around, you know, beauty and body image, I would have told you that, yeah, that's probably not good for me. But I did not realize the soul deep impact they were having on me and other men and women in our culture. And I I, I talk about it actually being a brainwashing of, mm -hmm. of sorts. Um, and because this is the water that we swim in, I just think we've been, we've been swimming in tainted waters. And so I almost see people um, who maybe have gotten to the point of a diagnosable eating disorder as like the canary in, a, in the mine of, you know, this is, this is toxic. Um, 
air that we're breathing in. Um, but, but we don't realize it. It's so good. Um, it's, it's so good. It's such a helpful conversation. Um, thank you for having it in an ongoing way on your podcast. You guys can connect with Melissa Johnson, uh, impossible-beauty.com. Her podcast, the related blog, the book is Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawlessness. We're giving away copies today. To enter that drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Melissa, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carmen. Absolutely. Um, I want you to leave you with um, the words from Mercy Me and their song on this topic. Um, You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You are meant for so much more than all of this. You're beautiful. You are treasured. You are sacred. You are his. You are beautiful. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you to Steph, who is asking questions on the text line about um, the way we seem to measure beauty based on weight. Is beauty only related to our weight? No, it is not. But it does tend to be the focus. And I think that's because um, it's easy to measure. Like weight is easy to measure. So what would it look like? What would it sound like? How would we live if we started measuring beauty differently? How should we be measuring beauty? Um, And maybe it's not even physical at all. Maybe it's spiritual. So if, if beauty is the life of God at work in us and among us, if that is beauty, how do we measure that? How do you measure the life of God at work in you? That is a spiritual question. That is a spirit conversation. And um, Paul gives us some guidance on that. You measure love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You measure the fruit of the Spirit. You measure those things that God is seeking to cultivate in the life of his people. So if beauty is defined as the life of God at work in us and among us, then we have to start measuring something different. It's not about our weight. It's about the, it's about the weight of God's glory manifested in and through us. So what is the weight of God's glory manifested in you right now? What is the weight of God's glory manifested in you right now? That's your true weightiness as a substantial person in the kingdom work of God today. That's your real weight. Yeah. I don't exactly know how I'm going to work that out any further because that's just a thought that the Lord uh, put in my mind. Um, But I think that is worth pondering. What if the next time you were asked for your height and weight, you talked about the weight of God's glory manifested in you? (laughs) I know there's not enough room for that in those tiny little boxes where we're just supposed to put some numeric uh, poundage. But that's the weight of glory at work in you right now, you beautiful one. You are beautiful. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.